you're listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Elise Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real-life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey, 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 this is the Real Talk SLP podcast, and I'm your host, Felice Clark, the Dabbling Speechy. Hello, hello. Today, we are going to be talking about preschool assessments. We're going to get all the details from Jenna Rayburn-Kirk about how to do preschool assessments like a rock star SLP. So if you have, you know, I remember I did have to work with preschool students um, back in the day. I would, I served K, you know, K sixth, and sometimes I would have a mixture between K and, and then I would serve a middle school. So I'd be like K five and then a middle school. And I remember in one of my districts, they would have the preschool team assess the student. And then if they were at the homeschool, then we would have to serve the students. So I would always get one or two preschool students a year. And then I remember one, a couple of years they were, they would have us, if the student was on campus and needed a speech assessment, I had to assess that student. So I would have to do these preschool assessments um, every once in a while. And, and even now that I serve K2 students um, with more complex communication needs, Sometimes the formal assessments don't always give me the results that I want or I'm or, you know, or if you're doing preschool, you're trying to figure out eligibility, you know, are these appropriate assessment tools for, you know, the culture that I'm serving. So all those questions come into play when you're when you're especially when you're doing preschool. I don't know what it is, but preschool can sometimes feel super overwhelming because they have so, you you know, you, you can say they have so many needs, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but they have so many things that you could look at and assess. And it's really hard to narrow down, you know, number one, eligibility, but then, or maybe eligibility is very, very clear for you. But then you, you get to this place where you're going, okay, I know they're eligible, but where in the heck do I start with identifying areas of need and their baseline and and explaining to the parents where they're at developmentally, because on some things they are, you know, at this age and then other ages, you know, and then other skills are complete. They're, they're, they're on a complete different spectrum of skills and developmentally where they're at. So it can be kind of tricky. And I think as kids get older, it's easier to give assessments and narrow down the areas of need a little bit easier. I don't know if I'm the only one on that. Um, and then I know <laughs> some SLPs are like, I'm fine with doing the assessment, but these little friends move all over the place. And <laughs> I got a time frame here. I got groups to see. <laughs> so you might be tuning in to get some tips today on how to do these assessments and keeping your kids motivated and you know, how to keep their attention going. So I'm really excited to have Jenna on the podcast today to talk about all things preschool. So if you have just recently moved from like a middle school setting to preschool setting, and you're, you're kind of freaking out about doing preschool assessments, this is the episode for you. And if you have a speech pathologist, buddy, SLP bestie that needs to know about preschool assessment, 
let them know about this podcast episode. Um, leave a review also if you are enjoying the episodes that I'm creating because I'm fine. I try to find people to interview or content to share that is going to help you be a confident rockstar SLP that is able to serve your caseload well. So I want topics that are going to be practical and that are going to help you do your job better and that will help you leave a little bit earlier <laughs> every day, right? So before we head into my interview with Jenna, I just want to tell you all about my newest line of resources for the speech pathologist that is doing teletherapy or if they are wanting to serve students um, with distance learning or even in person. It, they are my digital speech folders. So, you know, when I was in person full time, we were doing digital speech folder. I mean, not digital. We were I was using speech folders to plan my sessions. Um, I will put a link to the actual speech folders that I was making um, where I I would just, it would either be for an individual student or it would be for a certain process, phonological process or a single sound um, error. And I would put all my visuals, all my data sheets, activities or books or little things that I would use every single session because we know with articulation and phonology and apraxia and speech sound disorders, a lot of times we use very similar stimulus cards and visuals over and over again. So I like to have everything in one little folder ready to go. And then we went virtual and I was missing my speech folders. And I know some SLPs reached out saying they missed their speech folders and they needed something digital. So my digital speech folders for, for phonology and single sounds are designed so that you can create a lesson plan or a you know cho speech choice board for the week that you can assign in Google Classroom for your students so that they can have all the activities they need in one spot. And they come with pre-made templates for planning, but they also come with pre-made activities like race to 100 games. They come with syllable practice. They come with conversation activities, ideas that you can send to the parents, and they come with progress monitoring tools and Google Forms. So I will put a link to the digital speech folders that are available in my TPT store, along with a YouTube tutorial link so you can check out what's inside each digital speech folder and how to set them up. So now let's head on over to my interview with Jenna. All right. Hey, Jenna. Welcome to the Real Talk SLP podcast show. Thanks for having me. I know. It's been forever since I've seen your face. This is like really sad times. I mean, I'm happy to see your face via the computer, but I wish we were you know, at conferences and doing our thing in real life. I know. Yeah. Normally Jenna and I, we probably see each other at least once a year because of Asha. We'll do a booth together. So I've known Jenna for a while. We're in real life friends. In real life friends, not just the internet kind. Started as the internet kind. Now we're here. I know. So yes. And so we are recording today. To, we're going to be talking about preschool assessments, I know a lot of SLPs have questions about preschool assessments, so I wanted to have Jenna come on because she works solely with preschoolers, and I know you can tell everyone in your introduction, but I know you do like a ton of 
preschool assessment. So before we jump into like sharing all your tips and strategies and the resources that you use, I would love it if you would just share a little bit about your SLP background and um, you can talk about your cute baby Beckett, who's almost one or time is flying. You can talk about your favorite. I don't know. In therapy land and with baby Beckett. So um, yeah, I'm a speech pathologist and I was, I've been a school SLP for 10 years. And then I took this year off because I had a baby at the start of the pandemic, which I don't recommend, you know, it's kind of stressful, special time to be a new mom, but it actually worked out great because I've been home during the pandemic with him. So I have worked with preschool up to high school, but my passion is definitely preschool speech therapy. So I've been doing that for um, all 10 years that I worked. And my last position was in a school district as the one of the preschool SLPs. Um, we had one building. It was like when enrollment changed, they turned one of the elementaries into a full preschool. So we had like 17 teachers and four SLPs servicing that building and all our students were bused from around the district to that position. So it was a great, great, great position for me. And um, as part of my caseload, I did four days of therapy and then one day of play-based assessments every week. So throughout the school year, we would do probably like 80 or 90 assessments. And then over the summer, we might do some too. So lots of assessing. That's crazy. It's a lot of report writing is the real hard part. I love the assessments, but the report writing started to take its toll. <laughs> totally. I personally, I don't know. I would probably like play-based assessments, but the ones where you have to sit there with the formal assessments and you're waiting for the ceiling to come and you're going. That is brutal. <laughs> Elementary, middle school assessments, those reavals, you're just like dreading it. It's really different at preschool because we did a play-based um, approach. And so there was a team and every Wednesday was blocked. And every Wednesday we did a vows. There's a speech therapist and occupational therapist, the PT and the adapted physical ed teacher would come, um, if needed, if there was a referral for motor and then, um, an intervention specialist and two school psychologists. And so we would do two avows, sometimes three avows at the same time, um, so the parents would bring their kids in and we would go get peers from our classrooms and do it in a whole big classroom kind of all at once. So it didn't feel like sitting and doing the assessment. It was a lot more like group eval and you really just collaborative with these parents who kind of walk in like, oh my gosh, where they're panicked about their delayed three-year-old and they leave that day feeling a lot more reassured and kind of having a solid plan and it just was a really wonderful experience. So that's when you're doing like 80, when you do the 80 assessments, that's the way you guys are doing it? Yeah. So every week we would do, we did 10 a month. Um, so most weeks it would be two on a, every week. And then some weeks we would do three at a time, which was a lot harder, but. That's awesome. Yeah. With my, um, my kids with more complex communication needs, I've kind of been leading towards hey, does anyone want to do, especially since we're doing virtual, like we ha we are allowed to do in-person assessments. So I will collaborate with the psych and say, hey, you want to do an in-person assessment with me? And now the teacher, because we're afraid, like we, we only can see them a few times, you know, once or twice. And we may not, if they're having an off day, 
I need to get an observation in as well. So I need to see how they're, you know, I need time to do that. And they want to observe the kids. So when I'm playing with them, they're able to take notes and stuff. So I can't imagine doing this many of ours digitally. Like I can't imagine trying to do them over the computer in our district. Um, is not having us do that either. They're doing in-person evals still. Our whole preschool has been in-person during the whole pandemic just because they were, all the kids on IEPs came. The peers didn't come, but the students with IEPs have been coming the whole time. So, Well, I'm going to have to – so I know we're kind of uh, going ahead of schedule, but I'm even curious. So you bring gen ed kids to the evals? Yeah, so the way our program works is, well, let me backtrack and tell, if anybody is interested in learning more about this kind of way of assessing something, the the team that I worked with um, previous to me starting in this district went to a, a big Tony Linder eval um, summit, like training program. And she's like the queen of play-based assessments. She has a big manual. So if your team wants to learn more, that's a great place to go look. She has an assessment, but we didn't use that assessment. But the team went and that's kind of how we base our our eval process off of um, the Tony work. And I can send the link to Felice so she can post it in the notes. But so the idea is we want to see these kids with other peers to determine, you know, how they interact. And so every week we had um, a teacher who would send two of her peer students down for the evals. So the way we set it up was to kind of have the first half an hour, they, they come in and they get a vision and hearing screening from the nurse. And when they come in, the school psychologist has already gone to their home and done a home visit. So we as a team, while they're getting their vision and hearing screened, meet in the conference room and kind of go over what we're about to see. That's the first time I get a file on a student. So um, you know, we, we read the background information, hear what the school psychologist is thinking from her experience, because in Ohio, you have to have two different settings to qualify a preschool student's um, an observation in two different settings. So that gives us that second setting. Sometimes we'll go to a daycare, especially if it's like a behavior need that's because they're fine at home, but they're having trouble at daycare or preschool somewhere else. And then we'll do a half an hour of play. And so the OT, PT, schools, everybody, all the team members and the two students we're evaluating and then the two peers we've brought kind of play in a classroom and do a half an hour of informal observation. And then we'll see how the thing, how things are going and then decide who's going to take which student. And then we have about 20 minutes one-on-one with each of the two students. We kind of flip-flop them back and forth and they have a snack and And then we have our evaluation team meetings right then immediately. So you got to score really quickly, be ready to talk about whatever your decision is for qualifying the students and then have the evaluation meeting right there with parents right then. And there's usually two evaluation meetings going on with two different school psychologists and the teacher um, and the OT and I will flop back and forth between meetings. That sounds kind of cool because then you get it done all in one swoop and then you can say, I'm yeah. done with that. And it's fresh in yeah. your brain. <laughs> You're scribbling notes for your report later, but you really, you get good at clinical decision-making when you're put in that situation. And um, usually it's pretty obvious. And if, you know, if a kid is delayed enough to qualify for special needs preschool, in our state, you have to have two moderate delays or one severe delay. So it's usually pretty obvious um, whether a student qualifies or not. Uh, yeah, that's really and, cool. So I definitely want to hear more about um, 
all this. <laughs> we totally <laughs> forwarded uh, where we were going. I know we can go down a rabbit hole because now I have like three questions where I'm like, so, um, but anyways, I want to get to, I want to hear your song choice because every person that I interview, I ask them to share a song that either, uh, inspires them, but I'm hoping you will share a song of what it some to sum up what it's like to do a preschool assessment. When you said this question to me, the first thing that popped in my head was that run in, run in and run in, run it. Cause it's so busy and so fast. And some days you are actually running, um, from the black eyed peas. Let's get it started intro. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's my song. It's busy. When, you know, <laughs> that perfectly <laughs> sums up and you might even be running, running in the session, trying to get the kid to, uh, come sit down and do whatever you want them to do. If you don't sweat through your, you know, outer layer on a preschool of all day, you haven't done it right. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. I've worked, because I've worked with preschoolers here and there and um, they're really fun, but they can also be, uh, they're movers. So yeah. um, I'd say, so it sounds like you do a play-based preschool assessment. So I'm taking it that you don't use, do you use the self preschool or the PLS? I know a lot of SLPs want to know like which tools do you use? And I think that if I was going to be a test developer, I would make so many more preschool assessments because I don't think there is one perfect standardized assessment. I have to try to do a standardized assessment, but I don't have an hour block with a student and a preschooler can't sit for an hour anyway. So I'd say the big assessments that I use are the PLS five. I really preferred the four, the five, the scoring isn't great in my opinion but I do use it sometimes because it's a, it's a fast and play-based and um, it's pretty good. I have the TELD 3. I thought I would like that more and it would replace my PLS 5 and it did not. So that was a little bit disappointing. Um, I have the Castle and I don't use it that much, to be honest. I, if the student is older, like a 4 or a 5, I use the Self-P and I think that works really well for a student who can sit and you know, as a little, a little older, not like your fresh three-year-old. And then for students who are more impacted, I might use the real three. And a lot of the assessments I'm doing are when kids are like two years, 10 months. So that works um, for them. And then also my district based on that Tony Linder work has created its own curriculum-based assessment um, or a criterion reference assessment. We have a curriculum-based assessment too, which is why I said that. It's very confusing. <laughs> we have both. Um, but the criterion reference assessment looks at skills by age. And so when the standardized assessment bombs, I can just use that. And I also just use my own notes. So I use a combination. I always try to get at least one subtest or a few subtests or half the PLS, maybe just the expressive if I'm only concerned about that done students. And usually I can get some kind of standard score. And if I can't do any of those, there's a functional communication profile preschool version. I know a lot of people are familiar with the one for older students. So if you have a student who's very impacted in their communication, you can use that to kind of frame your write-up at least, um, rather than just saying student wouldn't participate and kind of listing what they can or can't do. When you're scoring these tests and then you're going into those meetings right away, do you have to have baseline data already for the, for their, mm -hmm. I, like, are you doing their IEPs? I don't know if that's what you guys call them in Ohio. Yeah, we call them IEPs and we, um, well, I'll just use the test 
probes and then any extra stimulability things I've done in my play-based assessment as my baseline data. We don't have the IEP written. We have the evaluation team meeting um, and we sign that they've qualified. And then we have 15 days to give that in writing to a parent before their um, IEP. And so when they come back, they come back a week and a half later and that's when we have the IEP meeting. So we give them that signed, completed evaluation team report for them to look over. Then we have the IEP meeting. So I don't have to have the IEP goals, but I do usually have an, an idea of what I want them to be, and I'll go over them with the parents. That also takes me off the hook of going to that IEP meeting, although I would love to go. I just don't have time in my schedule to go to 90 IEP meetings in a year that aren't my other 40 students that I'm servicing. So I'm in the building, and a lot of times the, the intervention specialist who's running that meeting will text me and say, can you come down here? We have a question about this, or you know, follow yeah, up. that makes sense. But then you're kind of already attending that IEP. I've already gone over the goals. So I've done yeah. the whole evaluation team meeting and then I go over the goals. So by the time they sit down for the IEP meeting, they've already heard me talk about it. And then the intervention specialist reviews it with them just to make sure there's no questions. So that makes me feel better than not going over them at all. And I think parents like to be able to like have that conversation about what goals they think are important for their student. And I'll say, here's what I saw. Here's what you told me about what they communicate like at home. And here's the goals I'm, I feel like are important. How do you feel about it? And it really is collaborative in, in a way that you just don't get to be when you're working with older students. Yeah, I would agree with preschool. If you have a setting like that, you really can make it a collaborative approach. And so that was what I was wondering too. Like, do the parents stay or do you kind of have them not in the room, but then have a structured time where you're interviewing them? So our parents are with their student for the most part all the time. And we get a lot of good feedback about that. Sometimes it can be hard. And there are certain students where the parent will say, I'll be honest, it'd be better if I just went in the hallway and the parent will step out in the hallway. But I like for the parent to be in the room. It It's a little more pressure on you because you're managing behavior. Maybe the mom manages the behavior a different way and you're trying to work something out. But we have a lot of students who go to our local hospital and get an autism diagnosis and they're separated from their parent. And then the parent shows up at this meeting and is told their kid has autism. And when the, when the diagnostic team talks about what they saw that indicated that, the parent doesn't have that frame of reference. Whereas when I am giving examples of something I've seen, a behavior I've seen or a communication I've seen, I have, I can say, remember when I gave him that doll and instead of, you know, feeding the doll, the carrot that I had out there, he put the doll up to his eyes and he was, you know, looking at it in an unusual manner, whatever the example is, um, they have that frame of reference. So I think it's really helpful to have parents watch. Well, especially if you have the typically developing students in there. Mm -hmm. And now the typically developing students come for that first half an hour okay. and then they leave before we do like the standardized assessment part. But at least you could share, oh, hey, there's this, see how that but student developing kids looks at, sits at the sensory table and then digs and scoops and they might get silly. But then when we, you know, give a verbal prompt, they're able to pull their materials back into the sensory table and your child <laughs> repetitively dump the beans on the floor for 10 minutes. And then when we try to help him think of a new idea, he couldn't manage a transition there or whatever the example is. It's a lot easier to show them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they're building trust watching you, and they can see yeah. what happens. So then when they see that in the report, they're it's yeah. It sounds like a lot of foundational work is happening when you do this this uh, approach with uh, what did you, who did you say it was Tony Tony Linders Tony Linders. So I've never heard of that. Um, I forget the acronym for her assessment. I feel like it starts. It's a T. TB, I don't know. I, I'm terrible at things like that. But it, she has an, an assessment that you can use that's kind of like um, that all the different disciplines can use. We don't use that. But um, if you are looking for a reference, she has these two huge spiral round books that kind of talk about assessing different areas and what you're looking for and the norms for cool. kind of birth the five, I think, are in that. So um, I will definitely put that in the show notes for people to check out. My question, I know this probably wasn't, I didn't list this one as a question, but so for SLPs that aren't in this particular setting where they have access to all their teams, like I know I've been at schools where the school psychologists, we try our best to be together on the same day, but there are days where, or there's sites where that's just not physically possible. So how would an SLP doing a preschool assessment could they follow this model if not all the team members are there or how could they adapt this? So if you don't have access to a team, which I realize I am have been super lucky. I'm in this kind of ideal situation where you have the whole team and you're all together. But I think if you don't have that, the best thing you can do is at least carve out time to have a conversation before you walk in and have that conversation in front of the parents I've been in a school, like when I first started the elementary school that I was in, they never had anything like that. And just me being new, I kind of used that as an opportunity to be like, hey, wouldn't it be great if 10 minutes before the real meeting, we had a pre-meeting? And I would encourage that, especially with any of our complex cases. And that way, everybody could kind of talk about what they were going to say ahead of time. And it was only 10 minutes before the other before the actual meeting, but we were making a determination about eligibility for these students in that meeting. And I felt like we needed to be more on the same page. So even if you could get your team to meet 10 or 15 minutes before you meet with the parents to go over results, I think that would be really helpful. The other thing I try to do is record sometimes. Um, So I would like just turn the audio recording on. If something was happening that I was like, this is really leading me to think about whether maybe this student is having attention issues or I'm noticing this behavior that feels X, Y, or Z. And I would just turn my like audio recording on on my phone and then be able to talk to the team about it that way. Um, so I think you have to be creative and it can be so time consuming. I um, do a lot of evals for students who don't come on like our every day, every Wednesday approach, anybody who's going through MTSS or, you know, students like that who would who I'm squeezing their eval in and I have that same issue where I don't have the OT there with me who I can pull in and be like, Hey, here's what I saw. What did you see? Um, and so I would just text them <laughs> really like, Hey, here's a picture of a grip I'm noticing. Are you noticing the same thing? Or I felt like this student was reacting negatively to me putting pressure on him by listening to his sounds. And I feel like he knew I was listening. What was your interaction with him? Like how are his social skills working with you. And so just those back and forth things, texting with each other, trying to work collaboratively, even if you aren't at the same table, I think you can, you can, you have to put the effort in to try to do that. If you want the best well-rounded approach to your eval. 
I agree. Yeah. And then it, it makes at the meeting, it's, we all sound more cohesive because our results line up better or I can go, Oh, that, you know, the psychologist results, I can tie in, like, see how they scored on this or I consulted with the OT and it makes you sound like you've really put the effort in. And I feel like sometimes that we've all been in those meetings where everyone goes around the table and everyone's seeing completely different things. And then no one just acknowledges <laughs> it. Like we're like, okay, we're going to pretend like this is three different kids. Cause it sounded like three different children when we talked about their behaviors and what do we think caused that? You know, like we don't want to be in those meetings where parents feel like we haven't communicated well. Totally. And I would even say calling the parent if you haven't been able, like if they go to a priest, cause I've, I've tested some preschool kids where they're at a preschool. I go in there and I test them. The parent's not there. I always try to call them before the meeting. I don't know. It just sets the stage before you go in. Cause they're probably nervous and, and I want to know what questions they have too. So that or my goals. I don't want to just, I also don't want to be at a meeting for three hours. So it's, you guys might think it's like lame to do all this extra work, but I'm like, I'd rather just be able to tell the team. And we already kind of know we've already primed the pump and we know where we're going with everything. Yeah. And so calling the parent for 10 or 15 minutes is a really good thing that I have found to be beneficial. And I feel like you just feel better about your assessment. I have done assessments with elementary age kids where you never met the parent. You got the referral. It's part of a full evaluation. Maybe you didn't go to the MTSS meeting or whatever it was that initiated the, the assessment. And then maybe you didn't have time. I've had meetings where I didn't have time to call the parent or they didn't call me back. And I only tried one time. And then you show up to the assessment meeting and it just feels not good. <laughs> it's always better if you can make contact before then. You don't want your first contact with a parent when you're saying, hi, your kid has a severe communication delay that's been missed for the last three years or. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. So I, I would, uh, first of all, what is an MTSS? I have a feeling it's response to intervention, like a student study team. Is that what it's formerly known as RTI. Now it's multi-tiered system of support. Okay. In Ohio, we've switched to MTSS. <laughs> formerly known as RTI. Formerly known as IAT. In California, it's student study team, SST. Um, yes. So, okay. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, okay. So how do you informally assess skills for an assessment? Like do you have checklists? Do you have developmental lists? I know you said you rely heavily on your notes, but is there a way that you streamline that when you're doing those play observations and informal stuff? So after doing these for about six months, well, it took me a while that long to like not feel like I was doggy paddling to keep up with the rest <laughs> of the team who was used to doing these. Um, I made myself a form that I use when I'm assessing. And so I've, I have a space to write on the left side where I just write my language sample because the language sample is such a huge part of my assessment. And I try to do the language assessment or the language sample during that first 30 minutes when the peers are there and it's really play. It's not adult driven, adult led interaction. 
So I just run around the room stalking these children, trying to listen to what they say. <laughs> and then the other half of the paper and the back side of the paper, I have different things that I'm looking for specifically. So at the bottom of the page, I have like all the different speech sounds written out and the phonological processes. And then as I'm listening to a kiddo, I can just check. Yep, I heard a K. I heard a G. I heard an S. Doesn't have an F. Doesn't have a Z lateralizes an SH or whatever it is. At the bottom, I write notes like that. And then I have a part where I write their intelligibility. Anything I know I'm going to have to write is on this checklist. And then for language, I have things like um, could say their name, could say their age, understand basic concepts, understand time concepts, all these different concepts kind of listed out that I'm looking for things in grammatical structures and just just common notes that I'm looking for. And then I also have like a little behavior checklist for things that I frequently write. And then on the back of that page, I, I have these boxes where I have pre-written spaces where I'm, I brainstorm their goals and I write them right there. So I list some strengths, some weaknesses, and then their goals. And I just go ahead and write it all as I'm working with the student. That way, when I get to that meeting that is directly following my assessment. I already have this one page I can talk off of. I can talk about some of the things they said. I can talk about examples of things they could and couldn't do without having to flip through the PLS and say, they got a standard score of 77, which means, you know, I don't have to flip through that book. I can, if I want to demonstrate something specifically, I will. But most of the time I can just use that one page talking sheet so that's a form I call my play-based observation notes. And so I sell that on my in my TPT store with a packet of other forms that I frequently use, like a norms page um, and some other charts that I use a lot. So if anybody is interested in that, you can find that there. But if you, if you don't want to buy one pre-made, you can pretty easily make that. You just have to start noticing the things that you write down and, you know, start making your own forms if you want. Totally. And it sounds like it creates a framework for discussion and then you don't have to um, rack your brain. Then like eight days later when I go to write the IEP, right. and remember which kid it is. The other thing we do is take photos of the teachers or the secretaries take a photo of our kids and photocopy it to the front of the file, which really helps us remember who's who. Once you've done five in two weeks, you're like, well, which blonde little boy was that? <laughs> that's a good idea yeah I can't I mean I I calculated how many IEPs I went to one year and that's totally different and I went to like over I think I went to like 86 and I had a caseload of 50 but that's not assessments if I had to do 80 assessments in a year I think I'd lose my mind when you see them for such a short time you you think at the beginning of the year your brain is awesome and you're not going to get these kids mixed up and then after about 30 of them you're like nope my brain is tired So that's awesome. Yes. So I will put a link to your um, play base. It's, you said it was observation. Is, yeah. Observation I think that's really good. Good idea. Um, if an SLP was trying to elicit certain skills or things, like what toys have you found to be the best for getting a lot of, I don't want to say, I guess, bang for your buck, like getting a lot of information or even toys that would elicit certain skills that you might be looking for, what would you recommend they invest in? One thing I recommend is that you kind of build yourself an assessment kit. If you're going to regularly do preschool assessments, you don't want to have to be running in the room and picking off 
picking up toys off the shelf. Just pick some toys that are going to be your assessment toys and keep them in one spot. That's what I do. And I try to keep toys for each different level of student. Um, So I have some super simple cause and effect toys that are going to gather anyone's attention, um, like wind-up toys or um, like pull-back race cars, things that are really simple, light-up wands that you get at the Target dollar spot. Those all work really well for helping kids transition into a testing space. Um, And then also you're going to want some higher level language play based stuff that you can manipulate to be really simple cause and effect put in take out but also you could have this grand play scheme, you know, made up characters and roles and, and different actions and multi step directions and all that kind of stuff. My favorite toy for that is something that's a little unique. It's called, um, why can't I think of what it's called? (laughs) It's by constructive play things. And it's their like dog competition set. So what you don't want is you don't want to take your farm or your school bus because every kid has a farm or school bus at home or in their preschool classroom or at their daycare. They've already seen that. You need something that's like a little unique. It's the obstacle course dog set. It has a bunch of little dogs and um, there's a cat's version too. I have them both and I have them combined and I put them in a plastic container it has different size and types of dog houses. Like there's an igloo and a regular wooden dog house. And then there's dog food and dog bowls and dog brushes. And then there's all these obstacles, like a tire that the dogs jump through. There's probably 10 different breeds of dogs. And there's some adult dogs and puppies of the same breed. So just listening to me name all those things, you can already think about all the different basic concepts you can target. You can make up really funny schemes with these dogs. And most most children love animals and this toy is something different that they haven't seen before, but you can also use it for something so simple. You could just have two dogs out and one dog house and make it put in, make the dogs go to sleep, wake up a super simple routine. Or if you have a high level language student, you're trying to assess, you can have the whole obstacle course set up and have, you know, a whole scheme going that is really engaging for students. So that's, those are my favorite things. I also like to do just different things. Like I have those teeny beanie babies from McDonald's from the nineties. Thank you to my mother who kept those. And I'll get those Velcro mitts, like, you know, the sand toys where you throw the Velcro ball Mm -hmm. back and forth. And instead of the ball, we'll throw beanie babies, like anything like that. That's different and fun and new and low pressure. Those are all things that kids love. And I have those in my, assessment kit. Yeah, that's a good point. I know that dog set you're talking about and I'll have to find the link because I bought mine on Amazon and it's got all these little tiny trinket parts and I don't know what it is, but kids, they like this. They like the trinkets. Yes. There's like a little um, dog hairbrush and there's like an award for the dog for going through the obstacle course. It's just, it's just a neat set and it works really well. And then there's a cat set that doesn't have as many trinkets, but it has all these cats. So that is good to put in it to kind of give you, give yourself some contrast. Yeah. So I like that because you could simplify it. You could only use a few of them because there are tiny parts in it. So you yeah, you got to be careful. People, if you have people that like to put things in their mouth, right. you might want to just get the Melissa and Doug ice cream set. The big... German Shepherd and the doghouse, and that's be all they can have. <laughs> I would say... Um, there's a really cool, I think it's from Play School. It's a dollhouse and it's 
I have it all. I should link it too. Um, it has lots of little trinkets like that too. And it's easy to transport that I could see certain kids really liking, yeah. but the dog one is definitely unique. Um, I like Melissa and Doug's ice cream set. I don't know if you've seen that one, but they're like ice cream. So that one has definitely, even my fourth and fifth graders were like, can we play with it? Or I'll pull it out. Like we're going to do ice cream. The other thing I try to keep in my kit is like characters, whatever the cool characters are of the moment. Like I have PJ mask and I have, I don't know, whatever else is cool right now. Um, Paw Patrol. Yeah. I have a little characters. I have an Anna and an Elsa. I have little characters for everything that I can like <laughs> bring in to bring somebody who's really resistant to speaking in. Yeah, those are great ideas. So having a speech assessment kit. And so does that mean you just put them in a box or do you have a rolly cart? Yeah, I have... The assessment room that I was using is the itinerant teacher's room. So I have like a little shelf in there. So that's where I would put everything and just leave it. And my assessments and my protocols, I kind of had like the whole setup in there. So that was nice. And if I didn't, I would just put it in a rolly cart. Well, I want to wrap this up. But before I do that, I would love to know if you have any assessment report writing tips for these preschool assessments, because I'm sure they're filled with observational information, which takes forever. Right. Yeah. I think the thing that I try to do is that when I write a report, I try to make it a template always. And so instead of just saving it as the student's initials, I'll save it um, with like some descriptions. So like if a student has a significant difficulty initiating with other kids or is really kind of reluctant to engage with other kids, I'll kind of write some notes like that in this in the file name. And I'll save, you know, take their name out of it after I've written it and save these templates that describe how they interact. And that really saves me time. So or if it's a fluency student, I'll, you know, I can make I can write fluency, four year old, you know, significant, whatever, I'll write some notes like that across the file file name as I'm saving it. And so then when I go to write about a student, I'll just think back and look through those templates. And that'll kind of save me some time writing observational things. Of course, I'm writing everything specific to the student. But if even just my framework is about how the student was reluctant to engage with any of the peers in the room, well, I've already set myself up. I can talk about the specific things they did, but I've already kind of got that written. So if you're writing 80 a year like me, that really starts to save you time. The other thing is on my website, thespeechroomnews.com, I have some report template shortcuts. So you just go to that website and across the top, you'll see report shortcuts. And and I have some things like uh, the educational impact statements or, um, you know, different report features that I use for every report that I've kind of cut and pasted onto my website that you can cut and paste into any of your reports to save you time. Totally. Cause then you have a framework. You don't have to worry about finding the, the word, the right words, and then you can tailor it. And I think your note sheet probably saves you a ton of time. Yeah. My uh, reports are written like my note sheet is <laughs> there. That's my framework. <laughs> um, well, this is a good time for you to share. Um, if you have any resources in your TPT store for preschool assessments. I'd love it if you'd share it with everyone so they know where they can find some. I know some people were asking, like they, I think they want a framework and I sounds like your play-based assessment tool 
would be just that. Yeah. So if you want that um, evaluation kind of checklist form that I use, you can find that in my store. My store name is shopspeechroomnews.com or it's under Jenna Kirk, but you can find it easiest that way. And so those are called the preschool SLP evaluation forms for play-based assessment. And then the other thing that we didn't really talk about, but you know, when you go to the doctor and you hear news and you walk out and you're like, what in the heck did they say? Like you've listened to like a 30 minute presentation from five professionals and you're like, what, <laughs> what has just happened? I felt like that's kind of how parents were leaving our evaluation. So I started making a lot of parent handouts. So in that, with that checklist, I have some parent handouts that I give that kind of are the framework as I'm explaining to parents what a receptive or expressive language disorder is, what age, what phonological processes are, and what do we expect at what age. So those parent handouts are in there. But also, I have lots of language development. Like parents need one idea to go home and practice. If you listen to a full evaluation about all the strengths and weaknesses of your child, and then you go home and you're like, oh my gosh, they're so they're behind in six areas and what are we going to do? And we should be, you know, but you also have to have dinner time and you also have to get everybody in bed and mom and dad have to work. What can they actually do? So I, I have a lot of parent handouts that give them simple ideas. And I tell them, put one on the fridge every day and let the babysitter and grandma and mom and dad all read it. And that way everyone can be on the same page. And maybe the strategy of the week is just withholding. And maybe the next strategy is, um, asking, saying three statements before you ask one question. All those different language strategies we use and teach parents, I have those parent handouts in my store. So I think those would be a great thing to add to your assessment kit because you can use them at the same time. You know, you you want to give parents solutions that really work. And so I think those parent handouts are, they're pretty much all I used <laughs> in 10 years. So I think they'll, they'll be handy. Yeah, I use the, I, I have the summer ones um, because- yeah. I don't want to give, I don't want to photocopy a bunch of, um, cause I had a lot of kindergartners and they, so the preschool ones kind of, they're a good bridge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I don't want to photocopy giant packets that you're going to throw away. And so in the chance that you do read this, these are, they're all based on activities like bubbles and, yeah. um, things that also is low stress for the parent, which like you said, they're stressed out after they go to these assessments. So this is like a good way for you to say, hey, take a deep breath. When you spend that 10 focused minutes each day with your student, with your kid at the end of the day, here's what you can do during that time. You don't have to, you know, we don't need 80 hours of therapy a week. We just need a little focused practice. Totally. I love it. So um, this was really, really helpful, I think, for me just to listen how you do preschool assessments. And I'm sure a lot of SLPs are going to have get a lot of value from this. So thank you, Jenna, for coming on. And um, everybody remember to be the SLP that every kid wants to see. Stay inspired. Until next week. Bye.
Thank you.